Now I want to introduce our first speaker, Barry Bennett. He is our third year intern, ministry coordinator, and I'm sure he'll give you some credentials. I don't even know them all, but he was a missionary in Chile and a pastor to ran a Bible school in the Dallas area and has been up here for several years, three or four years, but he's been teaching here at the school the last couple of years. And uh, you know what Andrew has shared about him, that is the truth. He is one of the favorite instructors here at the Bible school. And I believe you're just going to enjoy the message that he has. And uh, as a matter of fact, I know you're going to enjoy it so much, we have a little bit of his material that he teaches out for sale out there, because we know you're just going to be blessed by his teaching. So let's welcome Barry Bennett. I'm surprised this many guys showed up. <laughs> Praise the Lord. First thing I know, this is the first men's thing I've done probably since the 90s in Chile. And uh, I'll say this, it's not quite as fun. There's no women to look at in the audience. <laughs> it's just a bunch of ugly guys. <laughs> so, Anyway. But uh, we have been up here at the at Karis Bible College. Actually, we I started off at, at the ministry on the ministry side of the building, in uh, the incur- on the phone line for the first four months, uh, answering phones and praying for people. Did email correspondence, answering doctrinal questions, any kinds of questions that, that arose from Andrew's TV show. I did that for two and a half years, and slowly, gradually got uh, introduced into the Bible College, and that has turned into a a full-time position for me, and I, I love it. I'm blessed to be here. I love to teach the Word of God. And uh, to have students coming from all over the world now. Actually, we have people, we have a lady here from Uzbekistan. And uh, there are people from, from all over the world that are coming to hear the Word. And what a blessing that is. So we get to touch lives. And one of the things, my, my, my uh, subject this afternoon is God's purpose in marriage, and I'm going to fully explain that here as we go. I'm drawing this from one of the courses that I teach in second year called The Laws of the Kingdom. And in in that particular course, I go through and show various eternal laws or principles, spiritual laws that that exist, that if we're familiar with them and are aware of them, we can flow with them and life will be much easier. How many want their lives to be a little bit easier? One of those laws is the law of purpose. And so that's what I want to start off talking with you about, and we're going to develop that and then move into, more specifically, the perp- God's purpose in marriage. God's purpose in marriage. So let's, go, let's start in Romans 8.28, very well known. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. This verse often gets quoted in, in pieces, and probably this last phrase is the part that gets dropped the most. But it all things work together for good to them that love God, first condition, to them who are the called according to his purpose, the second condition. I want to talk about purpose. And as I, as I consider this and think about it, you realize that everything has a purpose. Everything that God created has a purpose. And we need to understand God's purpose in everything that has been created if we are going to cooperate with it and flow with it and, and reap the benefit of that, of that particular thing, whatever it might be. Let's go to Isaiah 55. I'll show it to you again in another, another perspective. Isaiah 55, 11. Isaiah 55, 11, So shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it, or in its purpose. It's going to prosper into, into whatever I sent it to do. So every word of God has a purpose. We, we saw in Romans eight twenty eight that all things work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. Every word of God has a purpose. We could think of it as as a seed. 
And I like to, to use the watermelon seed. I don't know why, it's just what I use. But a watermelon seed has a purpose. Now, if I'm wanting corn and I plant a watermelon seed, I'm not going to get corn. I'm going to get watermelons. Because that seed is not going to de- deviate from its purpose. It has a purpose. Every word of God has a purpose. And to the degree, he says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, to the degree that we're aware of God's purpose in his word, whether it be for healing, whether it be for righteousness, whether it be for peace, whatever that word is, it contains, as as the watermelon seed contains the potential to feed the world with watermelons, the word of God has within it the capacity to fulfill itself. So if we look at a a verse like, uh, by his stripes we are healed. That is a word from God that is eternal. It's alive. It's in this room right now. It's, it hasn't lost its power. That word has a purpose. And if someone gets that word in their spirit, then it will accomplish its purpose. So this is, this is the context in, in which I want to look at this. What is God's purpose for men? Well, if you look at Psalm 115, 16... And I'll just quote it here, but Psalm 115, 16 says, The heavens are the heavens of the Lord, but the earth he has given to the sons of men. So God had a purpose. What's the purpose for the earth? Well, the earth was given to men. What's God's purpose for man? Well, God's purpose for man was to have dominion and to rule and to, and we'll look at some other aspects of this in a moment. So everything works according to purpose. So if you don't understand the purpose of something, then you're in danger of abusing it or losing it. Let me give an example. My, I have my son-in-law, Matthew. Matthew, you can raise your hand here. He's been with me through this conference. He, he lives here in town. And a, couple, a year and a half ago, I bought a new car. And I was so proud of my new car. And, and when I was buying it, I was at the dealership. And the dealer was showing me it has a sunroof or moonroof or whatever you like. And uh, so the, the inner part opens, and there's the glass, and he showed me, push this button, and it, it raises from the back. It will raise up and go down and up and down, and I thought, that's, that's cool. I like that. So I'd had the car about a month, and one day Matthew got in, and he says, oh, I need a sunroof. He opens up the inner part. He pushes the button in a different direction, and the whole thing just opens. Now, I'd had the car a month, and I didn't know my sunroof completely opened. See, I was losing the value of something because I didn't know its purpose. I didn't know the button had two different positions. When, when you start thinking about this, you realize that everything has to function or it will be the, to, the, to your benefit if you learn how it functions. In other words, you don't hammer a nail with a hairdryer. Normally, usually, unless you're really desperate. Uh, you don't wash your windows with a peanut butter sandwich. See, because that's not its purpose. So we can look at it on any level of life, but God has called us. We have a purpose. Go to Acts, uh, let's go to Acts 26. And this is when Jesus called Paul. Acts 26, 16. And he says, but rise, this is when he appears to him on the road, and rise, stand up upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose. Each one of us has a purpose, and he goes on to explain that purpose to Paul. You have a divine purpose. God has a purpose for every word that has been spoken from his mouth. God has a purpose for every institution he has created. The laws and the principles that exist in the kingdom all have a purpose. The problem is when we don't understand something's purpose and we end up going crosswise with the purpose and we lose the benefit, we abuse it. And I'm going to carry this over into the, into the realm of, of marriage here in a moment. But, but let's think about children, those of you that are parents, that are fathers. Let's go to Proverbs 22.6. Proverbs 22.6. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, some people think, I overheard this in a Christian bookstore one day, uh, uh, two people talking about this verse. They said, yeah, that, basically what they 
concluded was that means because I took my child to Sunday school during his young life, even though he is now completely lost and in the world, someday he'll come back because I took him to Sunday school. That is not what this means. This, this verse means that you're, as a father, your purpose is to help your child find their purpose. Train up your child in the way he should go. What is his gifting? What is his bent? What is his call? What, are, what direction would be the most beneficial for his life? And so many parents, not knowing they have a role, not knowing that their purpose is to help their child find their purpose, that situation gets abused or misused, and the child goes through life and never discovers their purpose. Because we haven't taken the time to help them discover that purpose. We know how to have children. We don't know how to raise children. We don't understand purpose. And so the child ends up without purpose. And some of you may be the results of families where there was no purpose that was ever discovered. And so it's taken you a while to find your purpose. This is, this is crucial because if we are going to enjoy the benefits of life, we have to know why we're here. Paul, again, let's, let's look at uh, 2 Timothy 1.9. I'm just trying to get the concept in your heads here. Second Timothy 1.9. He says, Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us. We've been talking about grace. Andrew and Arthur have been talking about grace. Well, grace has been given, us, given unto us, but also purpose. Have you discovered your purpose? Do you know why you're on this earth? His purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. The interesting thing about Paul, and I was teaching this the other day in class, is that, that Paul says that the Lord counted him faithful while he was still ransacking houses and carrying Christians off to jail. In other words, God, had, God saw through his grace, he saw an eternal purpose. Later he says, he separated me from my mother's womb. In the midst of his lostness, God still was seeing his potential. He saw his purpose. Paul, you have a purpose. For this purpose, it says in Acts 26, I have called you, that you might go into the Gentiles. You have a purpose. Everything God has created has a purpose. His word has a purpose. And so our our challenge, I guess you could say, is to, to discover the purpose of everything that exists in this earth. Like if we have a new tool that I'm unfamiliar with, then I need to read the book and discover the purpose. What, how does this thing work? Every time we get a new gadget in the house or a new item of furniture or TV or whatever, whatever it might be, you have to, well, some guys don't, but supposedly you read the book and you, you discover the purpose. So what book? So. <laughs> You just mess with it until something happens, and then, okay. And, you know, okay, you may discover your, the purpose the hard way, but in the process, you may have broken something or abused something. But you understand what I'm saying, that there are purposes to what, what exists in this life. Did you know the church has a purpose? The church has a purpose. Let's look at uh, Ephesians. Let's go to Ephesians 3, 10 and 11. Ephesians 3, 10 and 11 it says, To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus. Now what is that saying? It's saying that God has chosen to, through the church, reveal his wisdom to principalities and powers. That's his purpose for the church. Now, I can think of a lot of churches where that's not happening. In fact, I've questioned God on this quite a bit I'm, because as I teach in another class, the church is God's plan A for the body of Christ. He wants the church to be established. And I'm thinking, Lord, do you have a plan B? Because plan A is not working <laughs> But his purpose is that the church would reveal his wisdom to principalities and powers. Per, everything has a purpose. And so if you don't know why the church exists, then you will abuse that purpose. And many churches, not knowing why they exist, invent things to do. 
not realizing what their purpose is. Or the gifts of the Spirit. You really can't flow in the gifts of the Spirit until you know what their purpose is. What is their purpose? Their purpose is to bring people from darkness to light, to put it in one phrase. To help people be set free from darkness and move into the light. That's why we have the gifts of the Spirit. To give them words of knowledge and words of wisdom and discerning of spirits and prophecy and healing and faith. You're helping to set people free. But if you don't know what the purpose is, then you take the gifts and you move over into this mystical realm where you tremble and shake and your eyes roll back in, the, in your head and, and you try to impress people with that. Not understanding that that isn't the purpose. It's not to, to be mystical. The purpose is to help set people free. And once you understand that the gifts are tools to set people free, all the spookiness disappears and you can begin to flow in those purposes and help get people from darkness into light. So everything in life has a purpose. Now go with me to uh, Isaiah 24. Isaiah 24. And... Verse 5, and I'm just going to pluck this up out of, the, out of the context here just to get a sense of something. Isaiah 24, 5. The earth also is defiled under the inhabitants thereof, because they have transgressed the laws. It's not talking about the Ten Commandments. It's talking about spiritual law, the dynamics that God set in motion at creation. They have transgressed the laws, changed the ordinance, Broken the everlasting covenant. The earth is defiled. And I'll put it in my words in the context of this particular message. The earth is defiled because we are going crosswise with God's purposes. Things that he has established, we are ignoring or we are ignorant of them. And so in that, in that process, the earth is becoming defiled. Meaning societies are defiled. Culture, look around, how many of you would agree with me? That we're not going in a good direction in society. There are things that are completely out of order and we can talk on different levels, whether it be political or whether it be social or whether it be cultural or whatever the issue, entertainment would be easy to pick on. Because people do not understand God's purposes in just about anything. They don't understand the purpose of government. They don't understand the purpose of of church, they don't understand the purpose of, as we're going to get into now, marriage. And so things have become defiled because people do not know God's purpose. It's, it would be as if you continue to hammer nails with the hairdryer, you have to keep buying new hairdryers because nails don't go in with plastic. But that's how we're li- most of us have been living or have been taught to live, and, and we're suffering as a result. Society is suffering as a result. So let's talk about marriage. And before I get into this, what are my qualifications to talk about marriage? Uh, I've been married uh, just a few weeks ago. We completed 33 years, celebrated 33 years of marriage to the same woman. So, and I have three grown children, all of them serving the Lord, all of them loving God. And uh, we have what I would consider a very successful family. I'm very proud of my family. And I have a lot of experience as a missionary, as a pastor, as a husband, as a father, and, and these things. And I have all of my school of hard knocks also in, in there, and the mistakes I've made and the things I've learned. And I would say that in the past four years, and I hate to say that when I said I've had 33 years of marriage, but the past four have been unlike the other 29. I have entered into a different dimension in marriage to where I thoroughly am so in love with my wife, I could start crying, but I, I, I am so blessed in, in my marriage right now that I have never been this blessed before. And as I look back at this, I realize the reason that I wasn't always thoroughly happy with my marriage, we've had a very nice, a very good marriage, but there have been points, as probably you can relate to, where there are conflicts or there are disagreements or there are issues. We've, we've been through those. But I realize now, looking back, perhaps we went through some of those hard times because I didn't understand God's purpose for marriage. I didn't know. And think about this. And I was listening to uh, Pastor Dean Hawk. He's a pa- local pastor who also teaches in the Bible school. 
and he was teaching in our third year course the other day, and he he was saying some things. I'm thinking, man, I, he should be up here t- talking today instead of me. That was really good. But he was saying that two people get married with two completely different ideas about why they're getting married and what they expect from the marriage most times. And as I thought back into my own experience, I thought, you know, that's probably true. I can hardly remember back that far now, but, but I was just, I was 25 years old and, and we came into marriage because that's what you do. You're two Christians, you want to be together, you get married. Does anybody see a, a problem, potential problem here? I didn't know the purpose of marriage. Well, that's what you do to have kids and be legal. Well, that's not the purpose. That's a subtopic. But what is the purpose? And so when you bring people together who don't really know why marriage exists, and they get married, each with different expectations of why they're getting married and what they're going to get out of this, then it doesn't take long for their two different perceptions to conflict and clash. And pretty soon you have what we have today. You have lots of separations, lots of divorces. Why is there so much divorce? And they'll, and they'll say, well, you know, in the church, the divorce rate is even slightly higher than in the world. Well, that's because in the world, they don't even get married anymore. <laughs> Which opens up another, another topic. We don't understand why, why marriage even exists. Why do people get married? What is God's purpose? Did God have a purpose in marriage? Where did this come from? And if it's a creation of God, maybe we should check with him to see how he meant it to run. See, if we have a new car or if we have a, you want to know what kind of gas to put in your car because you want it to run well. And anything we think of, you want to know how this thing was designed to work if it's going to produce the benefits you want from it. But what we see in life today is divorce, 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 or I really wish I could get a divorce. Uh, People just hanging on for the kids' sake, and all the kids are getting from that is just a view of marriage that they don't want any part of. Because we don't know God's purpose. So what what I've got for you, I've got three major points, three major things that I want to share with you. God's purpose for marriage. And I'm going to break them down like this. And the first one has three subtopics. So if if you have a pen and paper, you might want to jot it down. But the first is the natural reason or the natural reasons for for marriage. Natural reasons we're going to look at first. Then we're going to look at the heavenly reason. And finally, we're going to look at the spiritual reason. And in all of these... Hopefully, you can come away with this with a new appreciation for your wife if you're married. How many are married in here? All right. Most. Okay. How many of you love your wives? All right. How many of you wish you were a better husband? All right. And, and I, I as well. I, but I feel like I've entered into something right now where I, I'm, I think I'm doing a pretty good job at this point. You know, and I'm not trying to brag. But I think I've had a breakthrough where all of a sudden, and I'll, I'll share some more of this in a moment, all of a sudden marriage to me is like Disneyland. It, I'm having a ball. I'm having a ball. And so that's, why, that's the motivation behind this. I just want to transmit this that maybe if you understand some, some basic things about marriage, the purpose of God in marriage, it'll set you free too. So first let's talk about the natural, natural reasons. The first one, I've divided these into three F's. All right, we'll start the words with F. Let's go to Genesis, and we're going to get back to the beginning. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. It says, And the Lord God said, It is not good. Everything he had made was good, and I'm probably you've heard this teaching before, but this was the one thing that wasn't good out of all of creation. The Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make a help meet for him, or a help suitable for him. It isn't good that man should be alone. So the first purpose of marriage that God identified is a need for fellowship. Fellowship. Men need fellowship. They need companionship. It's not good that men should be alone. And when you begin to enter into marriage, or if you are married, or if you're contemplating marriage, find someone that you like to be with that is... Of, of similar interests with whom you can say, this is my best friend. And people that see me around the ministry know 
if my wife is somewhere in, in the vicinity, she works in the building too, in the ministry, we come to work together, we eat lunch together, we walk down the halls together, we go home together. We love to be together. And when I'm not with her, I'm wishing I was with her. She's just, she's my best friend. I love to be with her. Fellowship, I can't wait to get home and talk to her about my day. The minute we get in the car, I'll say, tell me about your day. And she says, I just worked real hard. Tell me, she says, tell me about your day. So I just, I just take off. I love to be with her. I love to talk with her. I, I love that. I can't say it was always that way. Because as a missionary, I was very driven to be successful. I was a missionary in Chile for 12 years. I was a pastor for eight of those years. I was very driven to be a successful missionary. And that meant that there were times when I neglected my, my duties as a husband and as a father. And looking back, I can see that. And it wasn't drastic. There weren't serious consequences. But I wish I could go back and redo some things with the wisdom I have now. But, but see, there, then it was all about ministry. Ministry, I've got I've to pr- produce. I've got to have a bigger church. I've got to have more people. I've got to have more home groups. I've got to do this. I've got to be here. I've got to go there. Because I've got to write a newsletter every month. And the newsletter's got to be really, pow, it's got to hit. You know, it's got to show results. And so that was my drive. And now at this point in my life, I don't care anything about self-promoting and doing things. And in fact, all of the attention that I've been getting here at the Bible school it makes me uncomfortable. I mean, I'm really blessed that the students enjoy the teaching and all of that. But what I'm thinking about is, when do I get to go home and be with my wife? That's what, that's what turns me on now, is that relationship. I love being with my wife. Fellowship. So that's, that's the first thing we find that God was concerned about. Let's move on to, to uh, let's see where we want to take this. Let's go to verse 24, same chapter. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. He shall cleave to who? His wife. The second F I would call fidelity. Faithfulness. Fidelity. God gives us wives so that we can be faithful and and have our sexual needs satisfied with one person. That is God's purpose in marriage. Take, let's go to 1 uh, Corinthians 7, 2. 1 Corinthians 7, 2. It says, Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, let every woman have her own husband. I mean, this is pretty black and white. One of the purposes of marriage is sex. God wants you to have sex with one person, with your wife. And the purpose in the natural realm after fellowship is that you be faithful to one person and have that need met with one person. But look what's happened in the world. People haven't understood the purpose of sex. See, sex has a purpose. Sex is for enjoyment between a man and a woman who are married. That's the purpose of sex. But if you don't understand the purpose of sex, sex becomes a recreational activity. And with that abuse of purpose, what happens to the human race? Well, there's all kinds of disease. There's all kinds of emotional heartbreak and baggage and violence and abuse and rape. And because man has lost view of God's purpose for sex. Because he doesn't understand God's purpose for marriage. And so if you understand that it's about fellowship... Friendship, you could use other words. It's about faithfulness or fidelity. These are the natural issues involved so that God's purpose, everyone who is called according to his purpose, God causes all things to work together for the good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. If things aren't working out well in your life, perhaps it's because you aren't understanding his purpose. And I would say if we, if we did a survey here... Most of you that are married would, would wish for a, a better marriage. You, you, you desire that. And if you don't, your wife probably does. Right? I'm not getting too many head shakes here. Let's go to the third one. Let's go to Genesis 1 again. Genesis 1. And we'll go to verse 28. It says, And God blessed them, Adam and Eve, 
And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion, etc., etc. But it's the first part here. Be fruitful and multiply. The third F would be family. Or you could say fruitfulness, but we'll say family. That makes a little more sense. God's purpose for marriage was to produce families for the multiplication of the human race in an orderly way in which each child would have a father that loved them, a mother that loved them, parents that loved each other. That's God's perfect. That's his plan. Today, the dysfunctional family is what society is trying to promote and elevate as being normal. I'm going to get on my soapbox here, but when someone has to tell me, and we'll all... There are so many different agendas in, in politics and in the world now, but we'll take the, the homosexual agenda. When someone has to beat me over the head for 20 years in every kind of way in the media, in, on, on, in politics and whatever, trying to convince me that something is normal, that's a pretty good clue to me that it isn't normal. You don't have to convince me over and over and over if something is, that something is normal. It's when it's abnormal that you've got to convince me it's normal. And when we talk about, well, maybe we'll hit on that again in a moment, but families that aren't comprised of husband and wife who enjoy each other, who are faithful to each other, and who are creating this family, if that isn't happening, then society is... is what did it say in Isaiah? The earth reels or travails because men are breaking God's principles. Society suffers because people don't understand God's purpose. What is the family about? Well, it doesn't matter who it is. It can be any, any at, least, at least have one adult in there and kids from everywhere and, and we'll just make this a family. Well, sometimes that's a, that's a necessity, but that isn't what God had planned. That wasn't his original purpose. He wants family to be part of the natural reason uh, for, for marriage. Marriage has a purpose. It isn't just for fellowship. It isn't just for sex. It's also for family. In fact, and this, hopefully you can, you'll grasp this, it was so much part of, a part of God's heart that that is how he chose to bring forth his son. In other words, this thing has to work because that's how I'm going to bring forth my son through family. See, that, that proves to us the, import, the importance of the purpose of marriage because it's through marriage that God was going to accomplish his redemptive purpose. There has to be families. So as, as, we, as we look at that, we realize just on the natural level, society has completely missed the boat and we have all of these dis, dysfunctional, fractured families we have divorce rampant. We have unfaithfulness everywhere we look. Why? Because people don't know God's purpose, or they're not, even, they don't, they're not concerned. They don't care. They just want to go have fun. They want to have a feeling. They want to have a good time. They want to have recreational sex. They want to do whatever they want to do. They, they have kids. They don't want to raise. I don't want these kids, so either we'll do the abortion thing, or I'll just leave, leave you with the kids. All of these... Horrible things are happening, and so we have these children raised in dysfunctional, fractured families. And then that imprint is left on them, and they don't know what God's purpose is for them. No one's training them up in the way they should go. And, the, and you can see the cycle just continues to get worse. So what can we do as the body of Christ? We, as men of God, have got to assume the responsibility for God's purpose for us as husbands and as fathers. And this, this is something that I just came to the place, and I was not a bad father and I was not a bad husband, but I could have been better. But when I began to understand some of these things, I realized I have an obligation. It doesn't, it doesn't matter if my, if my wife is a supermodel or if my wife is some imaginary vain thing I've got going on in my head. What matters is that she is God's help suitable for me. And my purpose is to love her and bless her with everything that I have and everything that I can. And when that is our, our covenant desire, then that marriage, that family, is going to be a prosperous and blessed unit. Amen? Let's talk about the heavenly purpose. 
And we're going to go to Ephesians 5 here. What's the heavenly purpose of marriage? Go to Ephesians 5, and I think we're going to read from 31 and 32. And here Paul is quoting from Genesis. He says, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. And I just got this recently. I always thought that the first prophetic mention of Christ was in after the fall, when it speaks about the serpent shall bruise your heel and you shall bruise its head, the seed of the woman. I thought that was the first prophetic mention of Christ. But actually, Christ is, is prophetically revealed before that in marriage. It's not good that man should be alone. And he created a helpmate. And the man shall leave his mother and father and cleave unto his wife is a picture It says right here, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. In other words, Christ and the church is not a pattern, is not what... I want to make sure I say this right. Marriage is a reflection of Christ and the church, not the reverse. Christ and the church is what marriage has been patterned after. Does that make more sense? That in God's heart, marriage came into being Because of his foreknowledge of Christ marrying the church, that is what I want to have reflected on earth. That is the heavenly reason for marriage. The heavenly reason is that every marriage would be a reflection of Christ loving his church. There is a covenant relationship there where Christ, what did he he do for his church? He gave his life for his church. And he entered into a covenant relationship with the church, and he said, I will never, what? Leave you, nor forsake you. That's marriage. See, what do we do? The moment we don't like something, we're gone. We're gone. Divorce is not a type and shadow of Christ loving the church. Homosexual marriage is not a type and shadow of Christ loving the church. If, if marriage, what, what is the, in the world, they don't know what marriage is. And so they think, well, it's all about love. If, you, if two people love each other, what difference does it make what sex they are? If they love each other and want to be together, they should be married. See, they don't understand what marriage is all about. Well, let me ask you this. Do two same-sex people being married together, does that reflect Christ in the church? Okay, if we're going to change it and say that it can be two same-sex people, they can be married. Well, then where does the number two come from? Why can't it be three, four, five? Why can't it be two men and a German shepherd? I love my dog. Well, I love my horse. Well, let's all four get married. Because marriage is just about love. Do you see where this is going? That once society loses track of God's purpose for marriage, that it's between a man and a woman, two people of opposite sex joining together to reflect as a reflection of what Christ is to the church. If you don't understand that, then marriage, anything goes. And so my question to those who think that two same-sex people can, can marry is, why two? Where did you get the number two? Because two is God. So if God is our pattern, let's go with what God established. A man and a woman. See, is that making sense? See, we, 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 everything's been perverted and taken out of context, and the earth is suffering for not understanding the law of purpose. See, I'd still be driving around without having a clue about my moonroof. Because I didn't know. And if somebody said, this car uses sugar in the gas tank. If I don't know what sugar's for, and I don't know what gas is for, and I put sugar in my gas tank, if I don't know, I lose the benefit. If you don't know what marriage is about, then you're going to have conflict. If you don't understand it's for your fellowship, it's for your fidelity, it's to keep you with one person. 
If you don't understand it's about family, if you think it's just about recreation and having fun, and I like this person, but after two years, I don't like them anymore. What does Hollywood portray about marriage? Hollywood, in Hollywood, man, marriage, I, I should be a, a marriage pastor out there and make a lot of money. They just keep getting married and remarried and remarried and remarried. Why? Because they think it's about feeling good with someone. And once, they feel, once that feeling good leaves and they don't feel good anymore, they look for the next person they're going to feel good with. They're trying to satisfy themselves with carnal relationships, not understanding that marriage has very little to do with that. Very little to do with that. Other people, Christians, and here's a problem in the Christian community, is that they think that marriage is going to satisfy their spiritual desires and needs. It will not. If, and I used to get letters when I worked in the, in the uh, correspondence department. Uh, people that were just, I want to be married so much. I need someone. Well, you need them on that natural level. I, I will give you that. But I just, I don't feel complete. I don't feel fulfilled. I don't, I have to have a wife. Thinking that that was going to satisfy a spiritual need that they had. It will not. You have got to be a complete person in Christ before you get married. And then I would get letters from people that say, I can't stand my wife. I want to be... Can I please get a divorce? And I'm thinking, I'm going to introduce you to, (laughs) to this one. People don't understand what the purpose of marriage is. And so it's not a spiritual dynamic. There's an emotional multiplication. When, you're, when you have fellowship with someone, emotionally there's a, there's a multiplication. There's a mental multiplication, an enhancement that you can grow with each other mentally, emotionally, physically. There's that enjoyment. That, those are the levels of marriage. Spiritually, you've got to be one with Christ. She's got to be one with Christ. You have got to have your relationship with Christ. Because marriage isn't going to make you complete in the spirit. But the heavenly, heavenly idea is that marriage is a reflection of what God foresaw. I am going to have my son marry the church and he will never leave her or forsake her. What does divorce, what, what, what does that reflect? Is that a purpose for marriage, divorce? No, it doesn't reflect Christ in the church. So that's the heavenly purpose. Let's move on. Let's talk about the spiritual purpose. We'll stay in Ephesians 5. And this is what really set me free. Ephesians 5, 21 through 29. It says, Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. I I like to start there because most men don't start there. But the submission is one to another. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Let me, well, let me go back to verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. Last phrase, please underlined. As unto the Lord. See, some of you guys don't act like the Lord. And you're wanting your wife to submit to you. They're told to submit to you as unto the Lord. So if you want your wife to love and submit to you and honor you and respect you, act like the Lord. And she'll happily do that. Okay, verse... uh, I'm going to get down to the... talks about us. This isn't for women. This is for us. So let's go to verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Is that how you love your wife? Are you willing to give yourself for her? That he might sanctify, and I'm going to change the words, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. Are, is your ministry first towards your wife? Do you, care, do you pray for her? Do you, do you share the word with her? Are you concerned for her spiritual well-being? Are you giving yourself to her? That he might present to himself a glorious wife, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it, she should be holy and without blemish, Did you know the wife is your glory? I can look at your wife and how she looks and how she dresses, and I can I can I can discern quite a bit from that. If you're and I've seen pastors' wives in 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 churches in Latin America where the the pastor is the dictator, he's the he's the jefe, the comandante, he's the he rules the roost, and the wife is basically a second class citizen, a slave 
And when she comes out to serve the table, if you're having dinner with them or something, and you just look in her eyes and you know she's just a miserable person, there's no love there. Because he's not giving his life for her. He's using her as a slave, as a servant. There is a spiritual dynamic in marriage. And, that's, and I'll just jump ahead here and say the spiritual dynamic is sanctification. God is going to sanctify you through you laying down your life for your wife. You have to give up your own desires. You have to count her first. You give yourself. Jesus left to glory. He counted not equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself and became a man, and he gave himself for the church. That is what this is talking about, laying down your life for your spouse that he might sanctify her. Verse 28, So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loves his wife loves himself. And when I saw this, and I realized, my marriage isn't about her making me happy. See, I had that concept for a while. Why don't you do this? Why aren't you like this? Why don't you? And it was always, why don't you? And I one day got the revelation, my happiness doesn't come from her. My happiness comes from God. And, my, and the love of God in me is to serve her. And all of a sudden, I just had this servant, this servant epiphany where I realized, my ha- I, I decide whether I'm happy or not. It has nothing to do with her. It has to do with my relationship with God. And if I'm happy in the Lord, it doesn't matter what she's doing or not doing that may or may not please me. She's my wife. I will never leave her or forsake her. And I am going to lay down my life. And I am going to bless her. And I am going to do everything I can to make her happy. That is my goal in life. And when that, all of a sudden that became my goal. It wasn't something I was just trying to work up in the flesh. It literally became my goal. I want to be a blessing to my wife. And let me tell you something. When I got that revelation that changed my heart, and unfortunately it's only been a very few years ago, four years ago maybe, when I got that revelation, life changed completely. My ministry changed completely. The productivity changed completely. Everything changed when I got a revelation of laying down my life for my wife. And being a blessing to her. And all of the things I was striving for in the flesh, in the ministry, as a pastor and as a Bible school leader. Things I was wanting to see and success I was wanting to attain and wasn't attaining. And I was frustrated because of certain things in our, in our marriage. All of a sudden, when now I realized she is my priority. And as I love her as Christ loves the church, all of a sudden... I don't know what happened, but God has just given me so much increase in every area. In the last four years, it has been amazing. It has been a miracle. And I think it has a lot to do with the fact that I decided to not draw my happiness from my relationship with her. I draw my happiness, my joy from the Lord, my peace. Everything comes from Him. And then I have something to give, and I'm just going to bless her and serve her and love her and buy her stuff where I used to be really stingy. Part of it was we didn't have any money. But I, I, I didn't have a giving heart toward my wife. A lot of times I would be more quick to give to missions or give to churches, and I wouldn't be giving things to her. I thought, this is backwards. She should be first. She should be my first choice to give to. She's my wife. She's the one that I should never leave or forsake. And, I, man, I could just talk and talk and talk about this, but I, I can't get it across to you enough that when I made that decision, I, de- I decided that I was going to be a source of life and blessing and provision for her. And when that happened, everything else in my life just took off. It just took off. There's no more strife. There's no more striving. I'm not trying to be successful. I don't even care about that anymore. And I have more invitations and more opportunities than I've ever had in my life. Things are ten times better because I decided to take care. I understood the purpose of marriage. And when I understood the purpose of marriage... Everything began to be a blessing. Everything began to take off. And that's, I don't know if I'm getting this across or not. I just want to share my heart on that with you today. If you're in a situation where you're, there might be that tension, that dissatisfaction, that unhappiness, you may even be contemplating separation or divorce, go to God and meditate on what is the purpose of your marriage. 
What is his purpose for you in marriage? What is his purpose for your life? What is his purpose for your children? Have you thought about these things before you make a drastic decision that you will regret? regret? Reorient yourself according to this idea of purpose. Pray about it. Let God change your heart. See yourself as the source of life and blessing to your spouse, to your children. Give your life for them. And then watch all the other things you were interested in. They will start to take place. God will give you blessing and increase. Amen? Amen. Let, me, let me pray for you. Why don't you stand up? Hallelujah. Father, we love you so much. And Lord, my first prayer would be for these men to each have a genuine relationship with you from which they would draw their life, they would draw their joy, they would draw their satisfaction, that that relationship then would be the key to loving, to serving, to giving, to blessing their wife, their family. They must have, they cannot draw from the source that isn't supposed to be there. The, the wife isn't the source. The children aren't the source. The job isn't the source, Father. You are the source. And in understanding the purpose of marriage, Lord, pray, I pray that they each have a revelation of their purpose, of your purpose in marriage and of their purpose as the source, the provider, the giver, the blesser in their families. They would understand fellowship. They would understand fidelity. They would understand family. They would understand the, the pattern of Christ loving the church, never leaving her, never forsaking her. Lord, I pray that each man of God here today would receive this, would meditate on it, would pray over it, and would make that decision to be that living sacrifice and to bless his wife with all of his heart. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, thank you very much. Well, why don't you go ahead and remain standing. We're not going to take a break. And um, you know what? Just stand for a minute or two, stretch. We had some big old burritos in there. And uh, we need to just stretch. And uh, this is just part one. And Barry, just thank you for sharing the revelation you've had on that and your experiences. And just thank you for caring about the people. Amen. So.